Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. Training camp is here, and the 2018 NFL season is right around the corner, and the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast will be with you the entire way. This is Al Sacco along with Zane Nockby, and we're really looking forward to going on this ride with all of you. This is going to be a really fun season, and this is going to be a really fun episode because Zane and I are going to break down training camp and the battles and what we think of each position and the roster and some concerns we might have. We're really going to go in-depth on it, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I also want to touch base on that article that came out recently about Jimmy Garoppolo that some people were overreacting to some comments he made that to me were not even close to a big deal and we'll give our thoughts on that as well but before we do we are very lucky to have back on the show with us the voice of the 49ers here he is mr ted robinson we are pleased to welcome back to the show the voice of the 49ers the one and only ted robinson ted thanks for taking the time to talk to us well al it's great being with you because it means it's football season again and so uh, after a few months of tennis and some other things i'm ready to go Oh, and it's so exciting. And obviously there's a lot more excitement heading into this season than there has been in the past three years or so with the 49ers. But the NFC is loaded, and we're still not 100% sure what the 49ers are yet. What are your expectations for the season for them? And is anything less than a playoff appearance a disappointment? Or could they still kind of go 9-7 and seven and be on the cusp of the playoffs and, and that would be enough this early in the rebuild? Well, Al, I think the fact that we even talk about expectation is a nice thing because that's been a few years. Uh, and I feel it. I feel it from the fans. I feel it from the faithful. I think the team feels it inside. And with that comes the knowledge that they're going to have a little, a little bit of a target on their back. People will pay attention this year. They will prepare perhaps a little more vigorously. Um, although we all remember this was 6-10 and 10 last year. The ending was great. But that was the overall record. I think my expectation, Al, specifically in one sentence, is that every time the 49ers take the field this year, they will believe they can win the game. And that hasn't happened in the last few years, especially road games. Uh, Playing Seattle, that hasn't happened in quite a while. I think that will be the case this year. And then I, I think the last point is that the division shifted. For the first time in this decade, It's not the 49ers or the Seahawks that are the team to beat. This entire decade, it's been one of those two in this division, and now it's the Rams. So that Mm -hmm. puts a a different spin on everything. Seattle is, is I think, a big question mark coming into the year, and Arizona uh, is probably going to be the trail team coming into the year. So I think that dynamic, that it's everybody targeting at the Rams, and, of course, people with history with either franchise – we're going to love the fact that Rams 49ers games for the first time in a long time are going to be significant in the state of California. And the player who's going to have the most say in how far this team goes is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo for obvious reasons. And one topic we've discussed at length on the show is if maybe expectations are a little bit too high for him. He's only had seven career starts and he's kind of seen as the savior right now. Do you think Garoppolo is kind of in a no-win situation or do you feel like the fan base will be patient with him knowing that he still may take some bumps? Well, maybe the best way to start that answer, Al, is to say that this past week the NFLPA came out with its uh, list of top 10 players in merchandise sales, and Garoppolo was in the top 10. Right? Uh, he made that top 100 thing the NFL Network does. It's a little bit of a shtick, but in the offseason, it's something to 
to watch and the players vote. And he made the top 100 on that. And the guy's played seven games. So uh, he, he clearly has built some, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit of leeway, just as Colin did. You know, when Colin had his 10-game mm-hmm. run at the end of 2012, he got a couple of years of runway out of that. His play never, ever again matched up to those 10 games, but they were so special that people did believe. And so, yeah, Jimmy has a little bit of that. And look, we all understand, I think, Al, the, the first thing to watch, and it's probably the only unanswered question right now about Garoppolo is, how's he going to respond to a bad game? He hasn't had right. that yet. He hasn't had a, a game where he throws four picks or he gets his head caved in by eight sacks or he fumbles on the potential game-winning drive. None of that's happened yet. So when it does, how does he respond? And I, I, it's going to happen. It's happened to everybody. And um, certainly he watched Brady do it. So how Jimmy responds is going to be the one thing I think I will first look at this year. And as far as the guys protecting Garoppolo, while Richburg and Staley look solid, there are some questions everywhere else along the O-line. McGlinchke is a rookie, and he's bound to have some growing pains. Tomlinson was better towards the end of last year, but doesn't quite have the track record, and we don't know who is really going to be at the other guard spot right now. What's your overall impression of, of the offensive line? Well, it's more in Kyle Shanahan's model, for sure. Uh, McGlinchey's going to be a guy that's going to be more to Shanahan's offense than Trent Brown. Uh, and Tomlinson, clearly, I, I think that caught everybody by surprise. The fact the 49ers went in on Tomlinson. And he showed them enough in his play last year that they went in on him and said, okay, you're our guy. And Jonathan Cooper's a you know, guy with great pedigree. He's a high draft pick. Played a lot in the league. And I think the challenge is going to be for Josh Garnett, who played in a different system at Stanford, and it was more similar to what the 49ers were using when he was drafted, or at least had been using. You know, Can he adapt in his year off? changing his body, can he adapt to Shanahan's offense? Um, Rich Burke clearly is the guy they targeted, just as Shanahan targeted Alex Mack when he was in Atlanta, or at least made sure that Dan Quinn and Dimitrov, the GM there, knew that that was vital to his offense. And, and overall, Al, you know, we're talking about the Rams again. If you think what the Rams have done, the players they've added just start on the D-line with Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue. And my gosh, that, you know, that right there is going to be such a burden. So if those games, including the last game of the season in the Coliseum, if they matter, the 49er offensive line is going to have its biggest challenge of the year, I think, going against that Rams defensive front. And you mentioned how good the Rams defensive line is. The Niners have a pretty good player of their own in DeForest Buckner, who I think is primed for a pretty big season. But they need Solomon, Tom and, and Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead to take pretty, pretty big jumps this year for that unit to come together. Wh- what do you see out of those two guys this season? Can they take the next step and, and become big-time players? Yeah, well, Solomon Thomas is going to be the most interesting one. Solomon Thomas is uh, you know, a guy that's coming into his second year. He didn't have the full off season last year because of that goofy rule coming out of Stanford. And, you know, I think finding out where he settles, which position and which uh, framework is going to be the best for him as a player is going to be the biggest part of his second year. Uh, You know, Armstead's a guy that's probably got a prove it year this year. And part of his prove it is going to be staying on the field. He's been, he's been injury uh, played in his first two years, our first, excuse me, years with the team. And he's not yet been able to be the consistent impact player they want. So, you say all of that, maybe the biggest guy is going to be Chris Kiffin, a coach, not a player. Because they didn't make the blockbuster ad for an edge rusher. 
for a sack guy. They've brought in Atachu from the Chargers, highly drafted player, stuck behind uh, Bosa and Ingram. Uh, they have Marsh, who came in, played well the second half of last year. And then Eli Harold on the other side hasn't yet shown that pass rush ability. He showed the edge ability much better last year. But out of that mix, they need to get that pressure. And I think there may be more of a hope right now that it's going to be generated by a change in approach from this coach, Chris Kiffin. So that's a name, even though it's not a player, that I think will be a very big part of training camp this year. Yeah, it was curious. You, you saw in the draft they didn't really try to approach the edge rusher position. They passed on guys maybe they could have taken a chance on in Josh Sweat and later rounds and that sort of thing. Do you think they're going to regret that, or, or do you feel like there's enough here right now to, to get them through the season? Well, I, I, you know, Al, I can only assume, since none of us are inside that room, that they didn't think those players that you, re- well, you referenced a couple of names and guys that were there a little bit later were worth and commensurate with the place they picked. Um, you know, they clearly understood they want, we all understood they wanted McGlinchey. They had it prearranged. They were going to move Brown as long as they got McGlinchey. Um, and they had Dante Pettis on their radar. And that's the other fascinating name because Pettis is, is the dual threat, potentially, that Ted Ginn was partially during his years. Pettis is the return man the Niners really haven't had since Ginn and hopefully can be more of a receiver than Ginn was. So, uh, you know, they had those guys pegged. But back to the to the most important part. Look, I'm with you. The the rush. These are that's it's amongst the most, if not the most vital positions right now in the in the NFL. And so the 49ers have to find a way. And it yes, sacks are are the ultimate, but just pressures and hits even more than that. There were too many games last year, and it's been a couple of years, quite frankly, where the quarterbacks had clean jerseys. And that that uh, is, I think everybody understands that is a an imperative that must change. Who's a guy, as, as we have camp opening up here, who's one player that you think 49ers fans should be watch, watching closely in camp this year that could take a big jump or just surprise some people? Yeah, there, yeah that's a good question, uh, Al, because we always kind of look for those kind of people. The rookie that probably has the first, I mean, look, McGlinchey's walking right to a starting job, so let's leave him out. Fred Warner appears to be the rookie that has the first best chance to make an immediate impact because of Foster's suspension. So Fred Warner's a guy I think we watch a lot in the preseason. Um, and I, I'm so, well, I'm interested to see how Colbert comes back after his terrific entree following Tart's injury. So Colbert comes back after playing about a half a year at a very good level. Um, how does he come back? Can he repeat that? Uh, you know, I, I would guess if you start talking about, and we always do in the preseason, the hustlers, the guys that are trying to make the roster, uh, there's two guys on offense, Raheem Mostert and Aaron Burbridge. Mostert joined the team very late in 16, barely played, but he made his mark last year on special teams. He was a terrific punt cover guy, and that was a, he, he really shined in that role until he got hurt, and that was the same role that Aaron Burbridge played well in in 2016. And he didn't play last year for Shanahan and his staff. So those guys, you really haven't seen Burbridge in the heat of battle yet. But those are the kind of guys that can win jobs because of their special teams play. As we know, those are, even though this team is better and it doesn't have quite as many openings as it did, I think, in camp last year when there might have been 25 jobs open, mm-hmm. even if there's fewer than that this year, 
special teams is going to decide some of them at the very end. So those kind of guys, you know, can Richie James impress, even though special teams is probably not going to be a place he can help. Uh, uh, Reed, the defensive back, is a guy who can help on special teams. So at a position in, at DB where you're going to keep a lot of people, because a lot of those DBs play, uh, Reed could be a difference maker as well because of his special teams contribution. Now, do you see any surprise cuts that could happen where we say, wow, I didn't, I didn't see that person getting cut at all? Or do you think it's sort of cut and dry? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everyone understands that Garnett is coming back. I mean, even though he was a first-round pick, it was prior regime, prior style. I think everybody understands Garnett has to win a job. It's not McGlinchey who's walking into a job. Uh, you know, Garnett has to do it. And I think the other one is Joe Williams. That, you know, there's a guy who's a fourth-round pick that went, you know, there was a lot of hope for him, and he's coming back from a red shirt here. He has to show something. Uh, I don't know if, how you could possibly hide him or keep him. So, you know, those to me are guys, because they were high draft picks, you absolutely look at them. And, you know, guys who've been around, uh, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, I don't think of anybody. I think Brock Coyle got a contract. He's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, you, you, you're going to have an absolute battle. Mike Person's a guy that was an original draft pick. Of, played most of his career elsewhere he's coming back to try to win a job and those positions you know fans don't get very excited about but they're vital the backup offensive line spots and you have to have at least one if not two that can play center and that's an edge for mike person eric magnuson showed that a little bit last year too it helped him stay as a rookie uh we all remember the philadelphia game where both tackles go out in the game and you end up playing guards at tackle and yep. so it's interesting. Al, one thing that's, that caught me off guard as well in the offseason was cutting Beatles because that was his strength, was that he could play all three positions on the line. So the fact the 49ers moved him out obviously means they believe that whether it's Person or Magnuson or maybe somebody I'm not thinking about, that they have that ability covered. Because if you only dress eight on game day, you have to have three guys and cover five spots. And that is something that is paramount to the coaches. And I know a lot of fans just, because it's not an attractive thing. They don't pay a ton of attention to that. Now, there are a lot of new faces on this team, and I'm curious, other than Richard Sherman, which new addition, and it can be a rookie or free agent, are you most excited to see? Wow. Well, for sure him. And, and I think McKinnon is the other one, because, look, we mm-hmm. all understand that the, the 40, you know, Kyle, it's, look, you, you, it's, it's uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. They were about to win a Super Bowl with a two- monster running back, a two-headed running back combo, well, maybe McKinnon and Brady give you that. Joe Williams has a chance to try to bust that up and be one of those guys, but the fact that they, they, the 49ers targeted McKinnon, invested as much as they did, believes they think he is the front guy, and Brady certainly showed enough last year to be the second guy. So I think McKinnon is one. I am very, very interested to see Pierre Garçon play with Garoppolo, because that didn't happen last year. Sure. Yep. And people forget Garcon was out. So the most accomplished receiver on the roster didn't play in that five-game run. So I'm fascinated to see Garoppolo. And again, it probably won't happen much in preseason, but once we go to Minnesota week one, see Garoppolo have Garcon, Goodwin, Trent Taylor, and whomever else, Pettis, I assume, uh, and whoever is the other wide receiver there, have a full complement. Um, and I think, Al, we all, this is what's good about this time of year is we get refreshers. And we have to remember how well 
Trent Taylor played last year once Garoppolo got in. How well George Kittle played once Garoppolo got in. Kendrick Bourne, undrafted free agent, right? Erratic. He really played well the last five weeks of the year. So that gives you hope, and it gives you the, at least it gives me the reason to believe, man, I want to see Garcon. Now, how good can he be with all of his experience if he gets to play with Garoppolo? Yeah, it's 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 really exciting. I, I said earlier that there's not that really that one guy on the offense that scares you, but as a unit, as one collective piece, there's so many things that Shanahan can do, and it is really exciting. And you know, they were brought in a lot of these guys by the new regime, and Shanahan and Lynch have been so impressive in in so many ways. And one of those ways is they're great with the media. And I'm curious for you, what's it been like as a media member to work with those two guys day to day, whether it's just interviews or just interacting with them? Well, fabulous. It's just uh, they are. And I was lucky that I had a little bit of connection with John from broadcast work. I never uh, covered John as a player. He was uh, he played at Stanford while I was living in Minnesota. So I, I was at Stanford before him and after him. And I, I never was around the NFL when he played. So I, I got to know him a little bit as a broadcaster. Kyle I never had met. I had no uh, first time I met Kyle was really in, in Lake Tahoe at Winterfest after he got hired. So, uh, But they've been unbelievably supportive and welcoming of both Tim and myself. And I've got to say, you know, look, every coach has their own <laughs> um, interests, idiosyncrasies. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, who treated me extremely well in his four years, I never watched a practice. Never mm-hmm. watched one. Only The only practices I could watch were the same training camp practices that you could watch, the fans could watch, that the writers could watch. Uh, there was no extra, nothing, not even playoffs, Super Bowl. I tried. Tim Ryan played with Jim <laughs> with the Bears when Tim came aboard. No, nothing. It was just Jim's thing. He was he's so paranoid and wrapped up in privacy that he wanted nobody out there. So, thankfully, Tom Sula comes in, and it's like wide open. Come in anytime you want. Chip Kelly followed with the same, and Kyle has been the same. And It just allows us to do our jobs, and I think that's understood by everybody at a much higher level. Look, it is an advantage. We work for the team. We all get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is an implicit trust that goes with that. I don't hide that. Um, that you see things and, and you understand what's appropriate to share and what's not appropriate to share. And if you ever violate that, you would no longer be allowed in. So that's just that's common sense. Um, but the fact that they're willing to allow us there and that they share with us, and I Actually, as we're talking today, Al, I was in the building earlier, and I bumped into John and Kyle both and had a nice 10-minute conversation with them just to catch up. And it wasn't really anything specific other than just to catch up and laughing about the Garoppolo story last week, that sort of thing. So to have that, <laughs> that comfortable, relaxed rapport with them, is, it's, it's fun. And it, I mean, look, it doesn't make my job easier, certainly. But more importantly, at this time, it makes my life easier. <laughs> I can imagine. At this age, yeah. I'm, a little, I'm a little selfish on that front. <laughs> <laughs> and you have every right to be, Ted. You have every right to be. Hey, we cannot wait to listen to you call the games this year. Good luck this season, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure, Al. Anytime. It's great to talk to you about football. Thank you very much. All right, Dane, it's finally time to kick the season off as training camp is is finally here. And this offseason seemed like it was never ending. And we're going to do our version of a training camp preview today where we'll break down the roster sort of in our own way and, and talk about our expectations and, and what we're worried about and the depth and, and just sort of where we see this team going this year. But before we do that, Zane, did you see the article about Jimmy Garoppolo today? I believe it was from uh, June Lee. He's a writer from Bleacher Report. Did you read that? 
I did. And, and the tweet that I retweeted was our friend, Kevin Jones. It was his retweet about the article. And, you know, Al, when it comes to quarterbacks, I, I said this in, in previous shows before, but when it comes to quarterbacks, you have to have an, an aura of confidence and almost overconfidence and a little bit of jackassing you to be successful. Like Aaron Rodgers was like that coming out of college and that kind of put off Mike Nolan. That's, that's part of the reason why they chose Alex Smith instead. And the 49ers to this day are paying for that decision. I, I really feel like the, the great quarterbacks have, like I said on Twitter, just a little pinch of arrogance and overconfidence and a little bit of cockiness in them because that's what sets them apart from the other, the other quarterbacks in the league. And I mean, I don't know if you have the quote, but he roughly what it was for those of you who haven't heard by now, he basically compared himself, didn't compare himself, but said that at some points he would be outperforming Tom Brady and that he had the confidence in himself to be able to get the job done. He didn't say that he was necessarily a better quarterback, but he felt that he could compete at the same level. And Oh, I don't know about you, but that, that fires me up. Like I want that guy leading, leading a group of guys on the field with less than two minutes to go. And I'm sure it resonates in the locker room as well. Yeah. And, and I have the quote here. And if you, if you read it and you read it in context, he meant no disrespect. You didn't say it in a disrespectful way. He was simply implying that he has the utmost confidence in himself. And like you said, no issue with that. I want my quarterback to be a little cocky, you know? And here was, here was the quote. Um, Garoppolo said, even when I was a little kid, my brothers, whenever we would play, I would literally always think I was going to win. I wouldn't, but I would always think that. It's like when I go to New England, when I first got there, I thought in my head, I'm better than this dude. And the writer asked him, but in your head, you believe you're better than Tom Brady? And Garoppolo said, it was always a quiet confidence. I would never speak that. And he asked Garoppolo again, but you believed you were the best dude there. And Jimmy said, yeah, yeah, you believe in yourself. That's the best way to put it. So, you're going, so this writer says one more time, so you're going up to Tom Brady and saying, I'm better than you. And Garoppolo says, I'm not stupid. You have to pick your battles. But I had to believe in myself that I could do certain things. And it's always worked out pretty well. It, was, it will always be in me that drive that comes from my dad telling me someone is always working harder, that I'm always in last place and I need to catch up to someone right away. So basically what he's saying is his mindset is he's coming into the training, or I'm sorry, to training camp or, or the season or whatever it is and coming into the Patriots' his first year, whatever, whatever it was, looking at Brady and he's saying within himself, I'm better than him. Even though Brady's arguably the best quarterback to ever play the game, Garoppolo believes in his heart that he can, he can be better than Brady, that he can be better than him. And listen, whether that's a reality or not, I want that confidence in a quarterback. And again, mm -hmm. I don't think he meant it to be disrespectful to Brady. I don't think he was trying to put Brady down. Obviously, Brady is the most accomplished quarterback in, in NFL history. He's just saying that I have the utmost confidence in myself. And yeah, I, I want him to think that way. I want that guy behind center i want that guy in the huddle when there's a minute 30 left in the game and you're down by five points or whatever it is and, and like you said teammates are going to gravitate to that and i i liked what he said i didn't have an issue with it and again people are going to read headlines and say oh we said he was better than brady but again if you read it in context i don't think he meant that i don't think he meant it that way at all and listen as, as we look at this roster zane for training camp this team is going to be very dependent on the quarterback play and on the coach and on offense, you know, look, you understand what they did last year and they were close at the beginning of the season, but bottom line is they were one, they were one in 10 at one point and the quarterback came in and all of a sudden this, this thing took off. And as you look at the training camp and you look at where we're headed here, this team is so dependent on Jimmy Garoppolo and we know what he did last year and we know how he looked with Shanahan and that's going to be the big storyline this year. Can those two keep it up? Can Garoppolo play at a Pro Bowl level? My question is, I, I think he can play at a Pro Bowl pro bowl level my question is can he get to that next level this year can he get to the level and i don't want to say 
Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady because those guys are Hall of Fame all-time greats. But can he get in that upper tier level? You know what I mean? It's unfair to say be Brady or Rodgers right now, but can he get in that upper tier level? If he can do that, he can push the Niners really far. But that's that to me is the big question going to training camp is Garoppolo could take a step back. He could. It's his first full season. But I feel like most people believe he's he's going to play at a, at a Pro Bowlish level. The question is, Zane, can he get to that next level this year? And it's a quarterback-driven league, and it, that's not that's not anything that's news to anybody. It, it is a quarterback-driven league, and if you don't have a quarterback, you really don't have a team. And the 49ers obviously were f- fortunate when the Patriots traded Jimmy Garoppolo for that second-round pick, and he came in, and obviously, as you said, he won he won the rest of the games last year, and the rest was history. Now, on a clean slate, you give opposing defenses an entire offseason to study tape. You give the fellow receivers that Jimmy Garoppolo has on the team time to gel with him. You give Jimmy Garoppolo a full offseason to learn the playbook and Kyle Shanahan time to tailor the playbook to Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think all of that equates into what people think will be a Pro Bowl season. Uh, aside from the the defense is catching up because that that happens, Al. As you know, like it's it's kind of a, a push and pull sort of thing in this league where defenses are constantly adjusting and the offense is making counter adjustments to that and vice versa. So, what I'm really interested to see is not only Jimmy Garoppolo's performance in terms of how how well he grasps the scheme, but the scheme itself because the offense has a lot more talent this year than it did last year, and. Last year, it was a bunch of unproven guys and a bunch of guys that we didn't really know who, who he was going to throw to. And now, you've got Pierre Garçon back. Now, you've got Dante Pettis, who's the second-round pick. You've got a, a full season of Trent Taylor. You've got George Kittle, who's coming into his own. You've got a lot of these guys that are ready to prove themselves. And I think that that whole group will make Jimmy Garoppolo better as a passer because of that comfort factor. Now, how many touchdowns will he throw? How many interceptions will he throw? It's it's really hard to tell because a lot of times, as we saw last year, an interception isn't a quarterback's fault. Like the Lewis Murphy play where he um, get, he was throwing the ball over the middle to him against the Bears and, and basically they, they took it away from him. They took it away from Murphy before he hit the ground and that goes down as an interception when it was really probably, it was basically a fumble. So things like that happen, right? Miscommunications and and all that stuff. But I really think, Al, to me, the, the biggest thing that I want out of Jimmy Garoppolo this year is just, is just steady improvement. I, don't, I tweeted out a few weeks ago that I don't think he's going to take a huge leap forward because he kind of took that leap last year. I think what you'll see now is gradual improvement. You'll see, you'll see some games where maybe he might throw two or three interceptions. That's normal. Every quarterback has that. But it's how he's going to bounce back from those games that I want to see. I want to see that progression of being able to come back from a bad game and, and put together a winning streak come back from a two-game, two-three-game losing streak and put together a winning streak or get your team right, get that ship righted. I think that those those things will go much further than a touchdown-to-interception ratio will because you're, you're building for the future here. Jimmy Garoppolo is here for the next five years. Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch are here for the next five years. So this is not like a short-term thing. I think that they realize that. So I think what the, the 49ers are looking for and what me personally I'm looking for is is just like a steady a steady arc of improvement and to to get seven points instead of three you know they have they have yeah, to exactly the end zone and that's what mm-hmm. you hope in the second season in Shanahan's offense he could start doing because yeah you kind of said the gradual improvement and i agree in that because in terms of the big leap forward how much of a leap forward can he really take from what he did last year yeah I mean, he was you know he was sensational again turning those field goals into touchdowns but other than that i mean he moved the ball like crazy Mm-hmm. Every drive they were moving downfield and he was making big throws and 
yeah, it's it's unfair, and, and I do feel like there are unfair expectations on him this season. There's just so much hype, mm-hmm. so much hype. He can't live up to it unless he goes out and goes twelve and four and makes the Pro Bowl and wins a playoff game or two. He can't live up to the hype, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think it's fair to expect him to. But I'll tell you what, they have to pray that they keep him healthy because, like I yeah. said, this is going to be a very quarterback dependent team. Because right now the quarterback, I mean, they're set. It's Grapplo and Beathard. There's not going to be anybody else. So if anything does happen to Jimmy, you go to Beathard. And again, you hope with him there's that second-year improvement because he was a rookie last year and he wasn't ready to play last year. But when he did get in, it wasn't pretty. He did have the Giants game where he played really well, 19-25, to 25, 288 yards. But other than that, his other four starts, the Niners scored 10 points. They lose 40-10 to 10 against Dallas. They lose 33-10 to 10 against Philly. They lose 20-10 to 10 against Arizona. And they were losing 24-6 to 6 when he left that game against Seattle. You know, Jimmy put up that last touchdown. In Beathard's completion percentages in his starts, 57%, 50, 47%, 47%, 76% in the game against the Giants, and then it drops to just under 58% again in, in the loss to Seattle. He throws four touchdown passes with six picks for the season last year. He wasn't very good last year. And again, could he be better this year? Sure, sure. But if Beathard is starting, the 49ers are not close to a playoff team. If Garoppolo yeah. gets injured at all, they have problems, obviously. So you got to make sure that Garoppolo stays in there, that he can be upright. And one of the things that I think they're going to take a step back in this season is pass protection. I do. Because if you look at the offensive line now, what do we know on that offensive line? We know Staley, right? We hope Richburg. We hope you're getting the center in Richburg, the good pass blocker, the perfect for Kyle Shanahan's offense. We hope that that's what you're getting. And those are the two guys that we know. Beyond that, we really don't know, do we? We think McGlinchey is going to eventually be an upgrade for Trent Brown, but it is unfair to ask McGlinchey to be a better pass blocker than Trent Brown this season. Trent Brown was an outstanding pass blocker, mm-hmm. outstanding pass blocker last season. And now he struggled in the run game, and the Niners were probably improved there, but in the passing game, Brown was good. And then at the guard, again, you have no idea what you're getting. Is it Jonathan Cooper or Josh Garnett? Is Lake Tomlinson going to play the way he did at the end of the season, or is he going to be the guy that we saw in Detroit in the first half of the season last year with 49ers? To me, big question marks on the O-line, Zane. And again, not a lot of depth there. We like Magnuson, or, or I like Mike Person too for the interior line, but I think Magnuson will win that battle. Are, are you confident in any of the backup tackles that, that we have if, if Staley or McGlinchey go down? So again, not a lot of depth there and some question marks at offensive line who are protecting the most important piece of this team in Jimmy Garoppolo. I want to circle back one sec to, to what you said about C.J. Beathard before we get into the offensive line. I think that's it's really important in the NFL to have a backup who can come in and, and either win a game that's already in progress or win a couple of games if your quarterback is out. Like Injuries happen to 100% of teams in this league. It happens to everybody will, where they will be without a key contributor for at, at least some point in the season. Some, and for some teams, it's the quarterback. And ideally, what you want out of your backup is a guy who can come in and win a couple of games. And I think CGA is kind of turning into that guy that can kind of just like not burn the house down and and nurse you to a win. I, I I don't think that they're good enough to really go anywhere without without Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously he's he is the heartbeat of this team. But I think that if they have to play like a game or two without him and CJ comes in or like half a game, you know, CJ comes in, I feel like he has the experience to maybe maybe win a game or maybe make it close. I think that it, it's invaluable the the experience that he got. Now what you're saying about keeping Jimmy upright is completely valid and, and true. The, the offensive line, specifically the guard spots, kind of scare me out. And you mentioned 
Lincoln Tomlinson, he just got that extension. He's a former first round pick who kind of didn't pan out. And he got the extension because he played pretty well when Jimmy Garoppolo came in uh, at the end of last year. And they, they feel like he can play beside Joe Staley on that left side. Now, Ritzberg, obviously, as you said, he's, he's an elite pass blocker, especially for a center. And the right side line kind of scares me because you've got guys on that side of the line that aren't necessarily good pass protectors. McGlinchey is obviously, you know, he's, he's a rookie and you can't expect him to come in and, and be able to be an elite pass protector. He was just signed this week, by the way, so he's, he's going to be in camp. And I believe that at least Dante Pettis is the only rookie that's unsigned as of the, the recording of this show. So hopefully they get that done. But McGlinchey is, is he's one of those guys that's going to require some seasoning. And he may be Staley's heir apparent to move to the left side. But right now he's a better run blocker. And the same could be said about Josh Garnett. Like he's, he wasn't brought in to play this type of system. He was brought in to be a road grader. He was always a better run blocker. And he's transformed his body according to the team transformed his body this offseason to become more of an athletic guard. So I think that the battle between him and Cooper may result in one of them. Honestly, Al, I think one of them will probably be cut. And that's, that's kind of crazy to think of when you, when you think of Josh Garnett, who was just a first-round pick a couple of years ago, maybe possibly being cut this year. So it's an interesting battle, but I, I just wish they had a little more talent to work with in this battle. Uh, I like Magnuson as the, as the swing tackle and the, and the backup guy. He can play every every position on the offensive line. Mike Person can also play every position as well. So the, the backups and the, and the swing tackles are fine. I just am really worried specifically about that right guard spot. Yeah, and I think I think Person or Magnuson ideally are going to back up on the interior, and you're going to have Gary Gilliam or um, Daryl Williams is one of the two um, tackles you would think. And, and again, if I just don't have a lot of confidence in that right now, so. To me, that scares me because, like you said, injuries are going to happen. And you look at the Niners, and and yeah, okay, are the starters? You're like, okay, it looks good, but it, but again, that depth and, and they're rebuilding. I don't expect it to be there yet, but it isn't quite there yet. And I don't have as much confidence as Bethard in Bethard as you do. Um, really? To me, yeah. I, listen, I I didn't think he was good last year, and I know he was a rookie. And listen, I'm always singing from the mountaintops that you've got to be patient with quarterbacks. I mean, I, I hate the way that we look at QBs now. But look where, who we played with. Look who we played with, though. I mean, he wasn't Pierre Garcon wasn't really like he was hurt for most of that time. And I, I don't know, man. I just he, the the talent they have this year is is better. No, it is. But look at the difference of what you saw when Garoppolo was in there with the same dudes that they're just playing with. Yeah. Look at the difference. And again, what I'm talking about, I'm not, I'm not knocking CJ Bathard here. He is what he is, and you hope he can continue to get better. But with Garoppolo, they're a playoff team. Mm-hmm. They were beating the Jaguars. They were beating Tennessee, two playoff teams. They, they win their last five games. And he does come in against that Seattle team that they couldn't score against, throws a touchdown pass. You know, mm-hmm. Garoppolo was substantially better. The team was so much better with him there. And the difference between those two is huge. And I guess that's my point is if you have to go to Bethard, it's a huge, huge difference. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's something where you could say, all right, you know, if CG's got to play, I don't know, seven games, we can maybe go four and three. I don't think they can. No. If no, he has no. to play that many games, you know, I, I, I think they're in trouble. And when you look at the schedule, especially beginning of the season with those four really tough road games, they open at Minnesota. They're at Kansas City. They're at the Chargers. They're at Green Bay. You don't have grapple. You're not winning one of those games. Mm-hmm. Not one. So that's that's the difference that this guy makes. He is, if he continues to do what he did last year, 
he is it an MVP guy, the most valuable player just just by being behind center. And you talked about, you know, can can Beathard hold the fort? You know, you think sort of a Colin Kaepernick thing where, okay, everything's good around him. You know, he'll be okay. Niner, they don't have that kind of roster anymore. Everything is yeah, not good right. around them. Mm-hmm. There are a ton of question marks. In, even even with, the, with the weapons, which we'll get into in a second, tons of question marks. You know, they don't have a running game where they have a bell cow guy that they can give it to. At least I don't think so. We'll find out. If Jimmy's not there, huge issue huge mm-hmm. and that has to be again it's it's football and, and i hope you know listen i hope he has an eli manning type streak where you know we're, we're doing this show 10 years from now and he hasn't missed a game yet um <laughs> you know but in reality i just think if if cj plays this team's in a lot of trouble a lot of trouble um and i, and I know you had some things to say about the running backs i'm interested to hear that but you know i, I just feel like we don't we don't even know what's there yeah. Do I love McKinnon in this offense? Yup. I, I think he's a perfect guy for Shanahan. I, I, again, Matt Breed is another guy. I just wrote an article about him having a breakout year. It, Matt Breed had the fourth most rushing yards from a rookie for a 49er in the last 25 years. He had a really good season last year. Um, his stats were really good. You know, His yards per carry were, were really good. He, he averaged more yards per touch last season than Carlos Hyde and, and Jarek McKinnon both did. So I, I like him a lot. But again, if you have to rely on that running game, do we know if we can do that? We, you know, McKinnon's never had, I, I think it's more than like 150 carries in a season, or 159 carries, something like that. He's never carried the load. We don't know. We love, we love the possibilities. We love what it could be, and it could be explosive, but we don't know. And I feel like with Jarek McKinnon, it's kind of like this entire, the naysayers of the 49ers, what, what do you hear about Jimmy Garoppolo? You're, they say, oh, it's the sample size, the limited sample size. And Jarek McKinnon, oh, it's a limited sample size. And Trent Taylor, limited sample size. This should be, basically just be called the limited sample size team. Because everybody's biggest gripe with the 49ers, the, the people who don't support the 49ers, is that the fact that they haven't produced for a full season. I feel like the 49ers brain trust would not have brought these guys in, like a Jarek McKinnon in, or... I'm at, I'm at Brita as an undrafted free agent in unless they thought that they really fit the scheme. They seem like a really scheme heavy sort of front office. They don't care necessarily about price tags or about like at one physical attribute. They care about how it, it's their, the entirety of a player will fit in their scheme. And, and Brita and McKinnon are two of those guys. They're very, very similar to Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman in Atlanta in terms of their measurables. So I think that Kyle Shanahan is trying to recreate that same sort of look and feel here with the 49ers that he had in Atlanta. And you saw how successful those guys were down there when they went to the Super Bowl, and, and it was a pretty good one-two punch. And like you said, there wasn't really a bell cow between those two. Devontae Freeman, as a rookie, he was a bell cow. I think he led the league in rushing. But I think that when they got Tevin Coleman in there and he was sharing the load, they were even more effective because they were able to stay fresh. Now, we know the top two guys are going to be McKinnon and Breida. And for those of you who play fantasy football, I would pick up Jared McK- Jarek McKinnon right away. Like, when I, when I play, Jarek McKinnon is going to be definitely going to be on my team. Like, he's going to be just a fantasy football stud. So, when you're looking at who, who are the next guys, because as we said, injuries do happen, right? And if one of these guys goes down, who can carry the load? I don't think either one of them can really carry the load by himself. So, you kind of look to who is behind them. And you've got Joe Williams, who was a rookie last year. He missed the entire season. He didn't play. And he, they expected him to, to show more than he did, and, and he never really got a chance. So he's kind of, I don't want to say like a bubble player, Al, but, but he almost is this season because I don't think that 
Kyle Shanahan is going to have very much patience for guys who can't really stay on the field. And, and people question his desire coming out of college and everything. So I think the wild card actually out of this group is Joe Williams, if they can get anything out of him. And if you could have a third back that could kind of spell either one of the first two guys or come in when, when one of those guys is hurt um, behind him, you have Raheem Mostert, who's, who's a special teams guy. So you really, you really have to get something out of Joe Williams this year. Otherwise he's, he's pretty much gone. Like I have full confidence in the top two guys, McKinnon and Breda, but to me, the third Joe Williams is really like the guy that really needs to step up. He's a big wild card. And look, they spent a fourth round pick on him last year. So the team obviously saw something that they liked. And I know they felt going into, you know, in training camp and everything last year that he really didn't show, you know, maybe the urgency that they were looking for out of him. But his NFL career is on the line this season. So, so we'll see what he has. And I, I think his main competition right now is Mostert, who's really good on special teams. But you made a point, though, about the Niners bringing in these guys to fit their system. And, and again, I trust Kyle. Kyle Shannon knows what he's doing. But do you remember you and I, maybe about, I don't know, week eight or nine last year, we're on the show and we were talking about the Niners brought in these guys and it didn't work? Mm-hmm. Because, and the reason we were saying that is in the 49ers, in seven of their first 11 games last year, they scored one touchdown or less in seven of 11 games. Mm-hmm. What was the difference the last part of the season? I wonder, what, I wonder what it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And not to beat a dead horse, but again, all these guys came in. And if you don't have the trigger man on this team, again, because I just think that discrepancy is so huge between QB1 and QB2, uh, I don't know if it's going to matter. Y- you know, um, again, I just, I think, just think he's that missing piece. But going back to what you said about um, Brita and McKinnon, and, and I do like the comparison to the Coleman-Freeman thing, and I, I kind of think the usage is going to be similar. And if you look at what Tevin Coleman did in his rookie season, kind of similar to what Matt Breida did. And I can see sort of a jump with that in terms of touches for Breida too. You know, Breida could maybe 150, 170 carries this year mm-hmm. in McKinnon, maybe like, I don't know, 220 or around there. I don't think the I don't think McKinnon's going to be the main guy running the ball by any stretch of the imagination. I think Breida's definitely going to get his touches. Now McKinnon's going to be a big part of the passing game and use check will be, will be as well. You know, use check again was one of those guys that we were talking about in the middle of last season. Like why did they bring this guy in? What was the point? He wasn't doing anything in the passing game. He was catching one, maybe two balls a game. And then Garoppolo comes in and again, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is how they envisioned it. This is, this is how it is. So, you know, this is going to be a theme throughout the show. A lot of talent with the running backs, but again, a lot of unknowns. We'll see how it goes. And the running backs are going to be a big part of the passing game. And we'll see what the receivers bring Zane. And again, when I look at this group, you know, I've said this before on the show is there's not a Julio Jones. Pierre Garçon's a very good receiver, but he's not, you know, a, a big name that's going to, in terms of like being Odell Beckham or an AJ Green or something like that, where you're like, oh, Antonio Brown, this guy scares you. I got a game plan around this guy. He's really good, but he's not quite that guy. And the Niners don't have that guy, but I think what they do have is a lot of nice pieces there. So you have, you have Garcon, you have Trent Taylor, who was excellent on third downs and excellent out of the slot. Marquise Goodwin in the second half of the season <laughs> when Garoppolo came in, um, you know, has has a career year, and, and he looked like he, everything really clicked with him. And then you have Kendrick Bourne with the arrow pointing up, and you spend a second-round pick on Dante Pettis. My biggest question mark with this group is, how are they going to use all these guys? How are they going to spread the targets around? Is Pettis going to play the slot? Is he going to play on the outside at all? What's, what's Trent Taylor? Is Trent Taylor's role going to be d- diminished because of Pettis? I'm just really interested to see, I'm curious what you think, kind of how these guys are all going to mesh together. 
It's a copycat league, and I really feel like the 49ers are copying what the Patriots did in New England with with Tom Brady and all these little small guys that weren't necessarily a speed guy or a possession guy, but they could just really run routes really well. And I think the 49ers are trying to recreate that same sort of mold here in San Francisco because they feel like they can out-scheme everybody because they've got probably, in my opinion, the, the brightest offensive mind in the game in Kyle Shanahan. And they feel like they can just out-scheme guys with, I don't want to say like marginal talent, but like slightly above average talent at the receiver position. Because if you look at New England, look at look at what they've done. Nobody really knew what who Wes Welker was or Julian Edelman or Chris Hogan or any of these guys. Nobody really knew who those guys, who those guys were, but they made it work with those guys. So I think that, that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan recognized that you don't need necessarily like a number one Julio Jones type receiver. You can get it done with a, a lot of like, you know, B, B plus sort of guys around Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that's what they have here. You have guys that, that are possession guys. You've, you've got uh, Pierre Garcon, who's a possession guy. You've got Trent Taylor, who's a slot guy. You've got Marquise Goodwin, who's a speed guy. Pettis can be a slot or speed guy. And you've got Kendrick Bourne, who, who showed some big playability as well. And all those guys have a specific thing that they're really strong at. And I feel like Kyle Shanahan will kind of accentuate that. He'll, he'll really highlight that sort of skill set within the, the play calling that he does. You'll see probably most likely a lot more five wide. We heard about reports in camp that they were going five wide on some plays. And last year they couldn't do that because Jimmy Garoppolo didn't know who the five guys were that he was right. going to. So you'll see a lot more versatility within the 49ers offense. You may see guys coming out of the backfield, like motioning out of the backfield. You may see multiple, multiple receivers in the backfield. Like last year, Marquise Goodwin against the Rams in the last game of the season, he was lined up. Uh, I believe he was lined up on the outside. And he came for a fake reverse into the backfield turned around, pivoted and was basically wide open in the flat for a touchdown. And that was, I mean, to me, it was like, okay, it feels like they're getting more comfortable with their play calling. I think you'll see more of that this year. And with regard to who's going to be the number one receiver, it's like I said last week, man, it's going to be the guy who's open is going to be the number one receiver. And I think I, I like that because Jimmy Garoppolo, like Jimmy's really good at hitting, um, basically finding the open guy and, and, and making that connection. And you're not having to force feed just like one guy because, oh, because this guy's like Julio Jones or in Cincinnati, oh, because he's AJ Green, we have to force feed them the ball even if they're not open. And I think it makes for a much more balanced passing attack. And to me, what you're going to have is, is any one of these guys can be like a number two or three receiver, in my opinion. Right? They're not superstars, but they can be solid receivers. And what you're going to have is in a five wide receiver set, you're going to have Trent Taylor lined up in the slot Dante Pettis lined up in the slot, and one of those guys is being covered by a dime back. And that's like the, the, uh, the opposing defense's fifth corner, right? So um, in that sense, I, I, I will absolutely take Dante Pettis or Trent Taylor to be the other team's fifth defensive back. So I think that's what Kyle Shanahan's kind of banking on. They're banking on winning mismatches as opposed to winning with talent. You'll probably see a lot of games where there's seven, eight guys with a reception. Mm-hmm. Maybe no one has more than four. I yeah, I agree. They're, they're gonna they're gonna spread the ball around. But again, going back to what I said at the beginning of the show, this team on offense is so reliant on the quarterback and the coach, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the NFL is a quarterback and head coach league. But like you mentioned, where they're gonna have the mismatches and things like that, they're gonna have to rely on scheme and the quarterback with the quick release and everything else. Because I, you know, again, I think they have nice pieces and they have pieces for what their head coach wants to do but sort of on their own. I don't know if anybody really scares you. 
but as 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 a, as one piece that their head coach can move around, I, I it, it could be a nice little group. And I also think George Kittle is going to break out this season. I, I've said that numerous times. I think all of a sudden the Niners are going to have one of the top ten ends in the league in terms of production, where you could see fifty five, maybe even sixty catches out of him, seven hundred, eight hundred yards, eight touchdowns. I really believe he can have that kind of season. And I like Selleck as the second tight end. He gets some clutch catches. He does decent in the red zone too. And then I, I'm curious what they're going to do with Hikatini this year. Because listen, he was a guy, you know, the Niners, he was one of those undrafted free agents that the Niners brought in with, you know, with Bourne, Breida, and Magnuson. They really, really like Hikatini. And I wonder if they're going to get him a little bit more involved this year. He's another guy who had a year in the system, got a little bit of playing time last season. And now he's one of the guys I'm going to watch in preseason. I want to see how they use him. I want to see how much how how involved he is in the preseason because yeah those games don't mean anything but the individual development during the preseason does whether it's in practice or or in the games and maybe even more so in practice I want to see how he's used I want to see the volume he gets I want to see if if he gets any work with the ones whatsoever not not that he would ever overtake Kittle just that are they going to use him you know again Shanahan with those chess pieces will they use him here and there to get a mismatch will they get him on the field I'm really really interested to see what Hikatini could bring and as as a whole I, I like the tight end group isn't it nice to be talking about position groups and have some sort of competition between them and not just have like oh well this guy's drafted or he's here on the roster so therefore he's by default starting isn't it nice Al to like right. yeah you have to talk about the Van, the Vance McDonalds or the Quentin Pattons and just guys that yeah exactly they're drafted and and your GM is just still trying to force them through to hope that it works out yeah it's it's nice to have decent players yeah exactly and I think that the tight end group kind of they're they're representative of that same sort of thought where it's com- it's an open competition at almost every position obviously except quarterback but the the best man the most talented man will win and George Kittle look we know we know what he's about he's a matchup nightmare he's got. Basically, for those of you who remember Delaney Walker, he's got Delaney Walker speed, but he's got probably I'd say better hands, and he's he's a better he's a better route runner than Delaney Walker was. And beyond him, you're looking at uh, Selleck and Hikatini, and Selleck had four touchdowns last year, Al, and he was he became like a safety outlet. He was the best red zone threat the 49ers had, and I think that based off of the fact that he can get open in the red zone and the fact that he's, I think he's a little bit better blocker than, than uh, George Kittle is at this point in Kittle's career. I think based off of that, you'll probably see those two still at the top, but I think you may see Hikatini more and more. I think you may see the team carry three tight ends. Um, obviously the fourth one is, is Kyle Nelson, the long snapper, but he's listed as a, as a tight end. So I think that what's going to happen is that you'll probably see them in the preseason move Hikatini around to see where they can get those mismatches, and Kittle as well, for that matter. Because like I said, when you have the ability to have athletic players at almost every position, you can line them up pretty much wherever you want and see what works. And I'm not saying this is basically like a shotgun approach, like they're just going to throw a bunch of crap at a wall and see what sticks. I think they know the skill set. I think they know exactly what they want out of their tight ends. Towards the end of the season last year, like George Kittle really became a, a really good safety op- outlet for Jimmy Garoppolo, as did, as did Garrett Selleck. So I, I'm curious to see, with the addition of the talent in the receiving core, how they really will use their tight ends. Like I don't recall them, uh, Kyle Shanahan's teams in Atlanta, really having a huge tight end influence. But then again, his tight ends were more blocking tight ends in, in Atlanta. They weren't, they weren't really athletic guys like the 49ers have now. So 
I'm really curious to see how they're going to do it. Maybe they'll put them in sub packages in the red zone. They'll take the receivers out. They'll put the tight ends in and have the tight ends line up wide or something just to get that mismatch of size and strength and just throw like a jump ball or something. It's just the possibilities to me Al, are, are really, really endless in, in terms of the talent that they have. They're not like a top 10 talented team, but compared to last year, like they were like bottom of the bottom of the league roster last year. And they're significantly better this year. And the, the tight end group, is is a is a big sort of symbol of that. Yeah, and if everything goes as planned, this offense is going to be pretty good. And you have to feel good when you have Kyle Shanahan there with the guys that he wants, and, and it's sort of happening now. What will make make or break this team? If everything goes right on offense and, and people stay healthy and, and Jimmy's behind center the whole season, they're going to be fine there. What's going to make or break this team is what happens on defense. Mm-hmm. And most specifically, can this team get to the quarterback? because they didn't do a lot to address it in the offseason. And going to the defensive line, I love some of the guys around that. DeForest Buckner, to me, is going to be Defensive Player of the Year candidate. I think he's going to be a stud this year. I like Solomon Thomas in year two. I know he's going to be on the edge and base downs. They'll move him inside and in the sub packages, and I think he's he's going to do well there. I, Thomas is never going to be a 12-sack guy. Get that out of your out of your head. If fans expect him, oh, he's a number three pick or whatever, he's, he needs to be a 10-sack guy. That's not, it's not him. I just don't think he's going to be that guy. And you could still have a big impact without doing that. Look at what Justin Smith did. Justin Smith wasn't a guy who had 12 sacks, you know, mm-hmm. when he was one of the most dominant players in the league. I think Thomas is going to be really good against the run, and I think he'll be disruptive. You know, you may see him in the 6-7 sack range, I hope. But he'll be disruptive. I like Eric Armstead more than most people do. You know, he was one of the top. I think he was second on the team in pressures when he got hurt last year. He can, he can be a nice piece there, too. I like Sheldon Day. I think DJ Jones, his arrow pointed up. I like these interior guys that they have and wherever they're going to play them on base downs. I, I like them. The question is when you have to pin your ears back and rush the passer, do they have someone to do that? And right now the two guys are counting on are Atachu and Marsh, who I think have 16 career sacks between the two of them. Neither one of them have had a big impact season. And to think you're going to catch lightning in a bottle, that scares me a little. Again, not saying it can't happen. Atachu can put it all together and, and come out with a nice season Marsh played well towards the end of last year, but I don't see that one of those guys is 10 sack guys who are, who are going to get a ton of pressure. Niners could have an issue there. You could even see something in training camp where they're like, Oh, this isn't really working out. And maybe Elvis Doomerville gets a call to come back and, you know, in this situational role or something like that. If that happens, you know, there's an issue. But so while I love parts of this defensive line, the people coming off the edge on passing down still scares me. If something's going to undo this team, I think that's going to be insane. And there's a lot to unpack with the defensive line because you first have the, the, the interior defenders and then you have the pass rushers on the outside. So I'll start with where you started with Solomon Thomas. And I don't think Solomon Thomas was ever picked to be like a defensive player of the year, MVP type player. I think that they realized that he was a solid player and a high, high motor, high character sort of guy that you could that would lead by example, like a team captain sort of guy, right? I don't think that he was ever a Von Miller type where he's going to get 15 sacks a year or even 10 sacks a year for that matter. It's not, yeah, it's not his game. It's not going to be his game. He doesn't, he doesn't have that bend to be playing on the outside. And I've said this, I've said this since he was drafted last year. And I I continue to maintain this. The best place for Solomon Thomas is going to be inside next to DeForest Buckner. Now, whether they figure that out right away or whether he ends up there at at the end of the season, we'll see, but you will see Solomon Thomas at some point playing next to Boris Buckner on a permanent basis, obviously during passing downs. And um, they're going to, they're going to move a, a few guys around and have, have maybe Solomon Thomas play outside, but 
I think, or sorry, have Solomon Thomas play inside during passing downs and, and bring in an extra pass rusher. But I think that with what they drafted in Solomon Thomas is basically like, um, like a B B minus sort of player. Like he's not going to, he's not going to wow you with his stats, but he's going to be a professional. He's going to be a starter for hopefully the next decade. And he'll be a guy that you can count on. Um, now with regard to Eric Armstead, I, I was a little bit more critical of the pick. I, you know, obviously it's water under the bridge, but I wanted Marcus Peters and we, that didn't happen. And, and the rest is history. But I think this is a make or break year for Eric Armstead. I think that this is basically his, his chance to show what he has. He's, this is pretty much the end of his rookie contract. So if you really haven't shown anything by the end of your rookie contract, you're not going to be on the team the next year. And if he doesn't really show anything in camp, and I think he will, I think he'll do enough to stay on the team. But if he doesn't show enough in camp, I, I don't think they'll hesitate to release him. He's not one of those bulky guys that basically, you know, he fell in love with the measurables and all of a sudden he became a 49er because, because of his arm length and, and potential. But I think that they have to find the proper position for him to play. And he's playing that big end position in this defense. And it'll allow him to rush the passer a little bit more. And, and he's not having to play the interior as much. So we'll see, Al. We'll see how far he gets. We'll see if he can turn some of those pressures in the sacks. DeForest Buckner, we don't, we don't even need to talk about that guy. That guy has they're, – they're talking about defensive player of the year. That's what he's going for now. And at some point in his career, he'll probably get there. He's that good. Like, I've loved DeForest Buckner ever since the 49ers drafted him, ever since before they drafted him. In fact, like I, I, said, I, I used to say to people close to me that when Eric Armstead got drafted – Buckner was actually the best defensive lineman on that line, not Eric Armstead. So I was like, you know, they, they messed up and, and the next year they end up getting Buckner anyways. But I think that um, the pass rush, aside from those three, like you may get some interior pass rush from, from a combination of those three, but the, the, out, the outside pass rush, Al, I'm with you. Like it worries me. Where are the sacks going to come from? This is the biggest question mark on this team. Cassius Marsh has not been a full-time starter uh, Atauchu was buried on the depth chart in, in back then San Diego, now LA Chargers. So I, I really don't know where the sacks are going to come from. Like Eli Harold is still there, and you know I I, mm-hmm. I I just don't see why they released Elvis Drummerpool. I really don't. I think they should have kept him. They could have kept him in Marsh platooning, but it just it just kind of scares me because the pass rush could change, make or break this defense, and they I don't think they have enough there. Yeah, and other guys, you you want to at least see how they're doing. Uh, Peter Tamapenu, Ronald Blair, you know, keep an eye on them. Maybe they can push and and get some pressure. Picking up a little bit what you said on Armstead, one of the things with him is part of the reason why he hasn't performed yet is because he can't stay on the field. He's missed eighteen in the last thirty-two games. So when you get a well, he can't get any momentum like that. You, you know what I mean? And this will be the first season where he's had the same defensive coordinator in back-to-back years. So we'll see if that helps him. But he, he's got to stay on the field. I mean, we've heard, and in terms of him in training camp, I don't want to hear it this year because we've heard every season in training camp, oh my God, this guy is dominant. He looks so great. And then you got on the field and you're kind of like, where is he? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't stick out. You know, DeForest Buckner, you notice DeForest Buckner. You know what I mean? Armstead, you're kind of like, oh, I don't really, see, you don't even notice him. Um, and he does occasionally, you know, get a, get a pressure, make a nice play. And I, the Niners probably missed him when he got hurt initially last year. But for a first round pick, you got to stand out, man you know, you got to stand out on tape and, and to me, he gets lost too much and I'm thrilled. He's this athletic specimen and everything else, but now, now he's, he's got to, he's, he's got to step up on the field. Now he's got to do it in between the lines. And like you said, if he doesn't do that, I know they picked up the option, but I don't think they would hesitate either to, to maybe cut ties if they had to, or maybe look for a trade if it wasn't working out. But 
at his best, he, he can really help this team. And we'll see what happens with, with the sacks with them. But there are a lot of nice pieces on this defensive line. Um, you know, the nose tackle, Earl Mitchell's going to have some competition with with uh, Day and, and DJ Jones. Earl Mitchell may not even make this team. So a lot of depth there at the defensive line for sure. And at linebacker, Zane, we know we know Ruben Foster's the real deal when he's on the field, right? I mean, when when you think about Foster and Buckner for the next 10 years on this defense, that's that's exciting. You know, you have two legitimate blue chippers. The question is, is he going to be able to stay on the field, whether it's off the field stuff um, or just him getting injured? You know, he seems like he's he's been a little bit fragile early, early in his career. And just reading some stuff on Foster, and again, in between the lines, Foster's one of my favorite players to watch. The guy looks like a missile, you know, just flying in and out, in and out. It's, she's fantastic. Um, but a couple GMs and scouts said things like when they were asked about what happened with Foster and they were like, Oh, I can't say we're surprised, not surprised. You know, when you hear that, it's like, again, it's, it's all, he's just showing bad judgment a lot. And I know that everything with the spousal th- abuse thing was, was bogus. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the marijuana. I'm talking about the guns. I'm talking about the stuff that happened at the combine last year. It's been a history of bad judgment so far. So again, with him, I'm not, I'm not worried about what he's going to do on the field. I'm worried about, can you get him to keep his head on straight for five, 10 years? And you can't say now just because this domestic violence thing is behind him. that all he's going to be fine. He has shown no proof yet that he's going to be fine. He has to go through to me, you know, a full year and a full off season to me before I'll be like, all right, okay. Maybe he's turned the corner because we saw him sort of behave himself during the season last year. And then all hell broke loose this off season. You know, so it's going to be a waiting game and it's going to be constantly watching with Foster who, if he can stay on the field, can be a cornerstone of this team for the next decade. I think Ruben Foster is one of those guys that as long as he's playing football and it's football season, he'll be fine. It's when he has too much time on his hands that he gets into trouble. And I think the true test will be next offseason. And hopefully they'll be after a, we all hope for a 49ers Super Bowl victory, but you know, that that's neither here nor there at this point. But I think that his deal is that when he doesn't have that structure of being at practice and having to have a workout in the afternoon, having to eat right and being around his teammates, when he doesn't have that structure, maybe that's when he, he's kind of at his worst. So uh, that's to me, I think he'll be fine during the season. It's just like after the season, like when the team breaks for the off season, what's going to happen at that point. And the guy who's going to replace him is going to be, well, it's going to be Brock Coyle is probably going to get the first shot. Mm-hmm. And then Fred Warner, who we really like a lot, but our last guest, uh, Larry Kruger, didn't, didn't like him too much. Um, I think that Fred Warner is going to be a really good fit beside Ruben Foster. He's, he's a more raw prospect than Foster was, obviously. Um, Ruben Foster won the Butkus Award for being the best linebacker in the country when he came out of Alabama. But Fred Warner is learning a new position as well. Let's, let's remember that he was a converted safety, so he's kind of playing mm-hmm. that in-the-box linebacker, like Deion Buchanan sort of role. For, for the 49ers, and I think that it's gonna he's going to have some growing pains, but does he have the physical traits? Absolutely. He can run, he can hit, he can cover, he can tackle. Like He has everything that you want out of a linebacker. He just needs to develop the instincts and experience. And Brock Coyle is not a, is not a permanent solution at linebacker. He was brought in to be a special teams guy. So I think that you're going to probably see a, them split time in camp, and mm-hmm. one of them will eventually take over uh, more snaps, but you'll probably see a good amount of Fred Warner as well in the first two games because yeah. Al, the, the future is going to be, it's going to be most likely Malcolm Smith, Ruben Foster, Fred Warner at, at the linebacker position. Right. Right. And I, I like the Corey Toomer addition too for um, depth for sure. 
and we'll see if he can make the team. And he very well may make the team, especially with Flostrout's first two games. And we'll see what Malcolm Smith, though, again, this is a guy that the Niners are counting on a lot this season, and he didn't play last year. You know, he was hurt. So we'll see how he comes back. And we've seen him play in the system before, and he's done well. I know he struggled a bit with the Raiders, but in the system with Seattle, he, he did well. And he's, he's going to be a big piece of this defense. Four Niners really like him, and they were crushed when he got hurt last year. So seeing him in, in now in his first season in San Francisco was going to be something to see, and it, it's huge. He has to play well. They need him. You have Brock Coyle, who you said is pretty much a career special teamer, and Fred Warner, who's a rookie. They, they need Malcolm Smith to be the glue early on. So we'll see if he can do that. Now, what I think might be maybe the most upside out of any position group, at least for the starters on this team, is safety. And at Colbert, with Colbert and Tart, I think you could have two potential pro bowlers this year. I think they could be that good. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I feel like a lot of people don't may not know about them right now, and, and they're not talking about the safety group. But you're starting to hear some whispers about it. And I know... Um, our buddy Pete Prisco mentioned that Adrian Colbert he thought was going to have a, a breakout season. And it mentioned, they mentioned Tart too in the safety group all of a sudden. Maybe some whispers that people are starting to notice, but I feel like they're going to come on the map this year. And But the only thing with those two guys is the 49ers need them to stay on the field. They're going to be a big part of the defense, but both of them missed time last year. Colbert got hurt, and we know Tart missed the last, I think it was the last seven games or whatever it was. They need those two guys to stay on the field because if one of them goes down, there's not a lot there. I know you have Ward in that utility role, but I mean, you're hoping he's healthy. He never is. But if those two guys go down, Zane, there's not much behind them. But the upside of them staying on the field is huge. This group will make or break, I think, the 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 defense more than the pass rushers because we know that they don't necessarily have the the pass rush talent to change a game. But we also know that they do have the the talent in the defensive backfield to change a game. And Colbert and Tart are. They they're, they seem poised to take that next step. I, I was a huge fan of Adrian Colbert coming out of college. We had him on our show, and you know he was just a really cool guy to talk to. And his his closing speed is elite. Like we're talking about Earl Thomas range. Like he runs he runs like a a four two five I believe forty, which is which is just nuts for a, for a free safety to run. And he was actually uh, on along that same line. Al he was actually working out with Earl Thomas earlier this offseason. I don't know if you saw that, but. I did posted, see that. Yes. Yep. Yeah, he posted on social media that he was working out Earl Thomas, and which is fantastic because which who better to to emulate your game after besides the the best safety in the game right now? So I think that he's he's born to play that Earl Thomas role in this defense, and he'll he'll be really good there. And Tart, when he was drafted, it's funny because nobody really saw him playing this role, but they were like, "Hey, he's kind of like Cam Chancellor in terms of his build and the way that he plays." And now he gets to play that same exact position like Cam Chancellor played in Seattle for so many years. So the again, the scheme thing that we were talking about earlier, the scheme fit, they seem to have really heavily relied on that, especially on, in the defensive backfield. They've got guys who can hit. Um, after after Tart and, and Colbert, you've got, again, like you said, Jimmy Ward. And I feel like Tarverius Moore may get some run at safety as well, depending on where, where the need will be. He, he was slotted as a corner at this point. But I think that he can play. He can play safety as well. But I think that at some point in camp, you'll see him playing safety, and maybe when Jimmy Ward most likely will walk next year. When Jimmy Ward mm-hmm. walks, you'll get Tavares Moore as that utility sort of defender that can play all of the defensive back positions. And you know, right now, the safeties are are where they need depth. Like the corners are fine, and I know you want to talk about the corners, but like the the safety group is really going to make or break this defense. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and like you said, those those corners, I think, will be fine. And look, the top four to me, at least on paper, look really good. You have Witherspoon, you have Sherman, and then you have Jimmy Ward, who I think could push Williams in the slot. And then you have Quan Williams as well. So that top four there for the cornerbacks, that looks pretty good. Now, behind that, there's a lot of, a lot of youth. You have Tiberius Moore. They drafted DJ Reed. Uh, Tyvis Powell is getting some run with the um, ones with Richard Sherman out. And uh, you have Tavares McFadden, who who I really liked as an undrafted free agent. You know, I had the Niners drafting him in our mock draft. So there's good players right now at cornerback. Again, I worry. I do worry if there are injuries or Sherman's not 100% because while I like these young guys they brought in, you know, if, they, if they're forced into action, how good are they going to do? And I, I know Greg Maybin's still there too, right? Yeah, I think Greg Maybin's still there. Yeah. So, so you got you to throw, throw his name in the mix. Too, I, had, but. I believe they had like last year, they had like Asa Jackson as well and like all these guys. It was it was like a ragtag bunch, man. <laughs> yeah, but they do seem to do a pretty good job of finding the right type of players to put in there. Yeah. You know, the guys that are going to fit their system. They seem, they seem like they have a good idea of that. So while I do worry a little bit about Sherman's foot, if he's healthy with him and Witherspoon, man, it's going to, it's going to be a good group. It, it really is. And, and it's another one of those groups where I think the arrow was pointed up and hopefully Ward can stay healthy. Maybe with him being more of a utility role, he won't be on the field as much. Maybe, maybe he can stay healthy because if he is, that's a big boon to the defense. And, you know, I, I do really believe that he can push Williams because Jimmy Ward's got more talent than Quan Williams does. Jimmy Ward's a really talented player, you know, and you want your best guys on the team and if, and on the team on the field and if he's one of those best guys and he shows that in camp and he's healthy why not let him play the slot i don't know i feel like jimmy Ward's best position is safety man every time i see him back there at safety i'm like he just looks more natural he looks like he looks he just looks like a better player he can hit he's better in space like i agree he was, but he's not he's not gonna play there yeah not with colbert there you know so why no, not no. get him on the field somewhere else you know what i mean if you can if he's if he's the best player there too well maybe he may be better at safety and i think you're right he is um but why not you know what i mean why not try to get him somewhere else too as well yeah and i know i know it's not fair to him and i know he's improved a lot but every time i think of him in a slot i think of brandon marshall beating him in that bears game in the first year of levi's um on that monday night game and it's just that just kind of and it was not fair because he was a rookie then and it was only his second game playing and and he's obviously learned a lot but even then like i feel like Kawan Williams was a better slot corner, and and he obviously got the extension this past offseason to to stick around. Uh, but I think that it's going to be it is going to be a battle between those two, and you know it, it, it's one of those things where the best man will win. And I think that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan want to foster this this sort of thought and idea of competition at every single position, which makes every team better. And iron sharpens iron, all those other cliches. But when it comes down to it. Jimmy Ward is is basically a nine million dollar uh, utility guy. That's what it comes down to. And Camon Williams doesn't cost that much. So Jimmy Ward is in the last year of his contract. They have to look at what's better for the future of the franchise. Is it better to hang on to Jimmy Ward for one more year and possibly have to assign him to a bigger extension, or is it better to develop Kawan Williams in the slot, who's who's used to playing there, or put another rookie or younger guy in the slot and have a guy that's going to grow with this team? Now that's a decision that's going to be up to up to the front office. But to me, I want to grow the team, right? Like, it, and you do sometimes sacrifice a little bit of talent. See Mike Leglinchy versus Trent Brown, but you you in the long run end up benefiting because that guy will be better for you for a larger amount of years. So I think that Jimmy Ward to me, like 
I think that it's, at some point they're going to have to cut the cord and because he can't stay on the field and because I just think that there they're are better guys for the scheme fit. But I think that it's going to be an open competition and, and the guy who loses is not going to be cut. But at some point, you're probably going to see Jimmy Ward's snaps decrease unless he's just really balling out. And that's just, that's just my opinion. That's, that's my hot take. There's nothing that indicates that, but it's just my, my gut feeling. What about bringing Eric Reed back? Like we talked about the depth at safety, and I know there's maybe guys that, again, you think, like especially at strong safety, oh, maybe we like this guy at some point. But if you're looking to win now and you're looking to push for a playoff spot now, one of those guys goes down and you got issues. Would you? Why not bring Reed back at this point? You can sign him on a one-year deal, right? Why not bring him back for cheap? The team said they're open to it. John Lynch said that they would be open to to talking to him, and I think that right now there's the whole anthem controversy and all that thing, all that stuff. And no matter what side of it you're on, he obviously brings attention to that. And I don't know if that's what the 49ers want at this point. Like, it's is is the distraction worth it to them? And obviously we saw a distraction this past week with Jimmy Garoppolo, which frankly, I don't, I don't really want to get into. And a lot of fans are probably wondering about that. Why we haven't talked about it. I, I really don't want to talk about it because we pride ourselves on talking about football related matters and, and the personal lives of the players are the personal lives. I'm not going to knock a guy or applaud a guy for their personal decisions because it's not my place. We're going to talk about X's and O's and scheme fits and all that stuff. So um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um. But with regard to Eric Reed, I think that if the knee presented itself out, they, they probably could do it. But they position themselves where they've got Tarius Moore there as well, who can play the safety position. And I think that they, and Jimmy Ward as well, who can play free safety as well. They position themselves where they've got enough guys on the roster that can fill that need. And I don't think, frankly, I don't think they're trying to win now. I think they're trying to build a team. And they know they're not like one or two players away. If they were, you'd probably see them go for broke and sign Eric Reed and bring back Elvis Dumerville and like bring a bunch of guys that on one year contracts that want to ring. But I just don't think they're in that space right now. I, I think it's a great idea. I think Eric Reed's a great player and I think that he would be an asset to any team. And frankly, he should have a job right now. I think it's a travesty, but with the 49ers right now, I just think they're headed in a different direction. Yeah. And they're in a weird spot right now. Um, Cause I do think they're a playoff team, but what does that mean? When I, when I say they're a playoff team, I say they're in the 9-10 win range. I feel like that a mm-hmm. team that's in that win range is, is a playoff team. Mm-hmm. But there's a fine line in the NFL between 7 and 9 and 10 and 6. You know, a few a few plays can get you the, either way. You know, you can go 11 and 5, you can be in A. It, it, it's crazy. The NFL can be nuts and there's so much parity. And the Niners are just such on they're so on that line and they can go either way. So it really is sort of a strange season in that sense where like you said, is it more important to them right now where they have that backup guy who can come in and play like, okay, we know Eric Reed's can come in. He knows the system. He can get the job done. Or you know what? We do expect to win this year, but we like this guy and we better develop him and have him be, you know, a stud in a year or two or somebody we can depend on in a year or two and live with the mistakes this year. Cause we think we can maybe get by. And if we don't, well, we're building to something bigger. I, I just, I just kind of wonder where the mindset is with this team. And I, I guess we'll find out as they approach things. But one thing I also I do want to say, and obviously we're not spending a ton of time on special teams. Um, but something that's not being mentioned enough is what Dante Pettis can bring at returner. Mm-hmm. And we saw what this guy did in college and he's electric and Niners didn't really have that last year. So if they can get a guy who can come in, make a few big plays, whether it's punt return or whatever, huge, make a huge difference. I think that with the, the special teams, that that's something that can swing those two extra games that you're talking about. Like that one extra game that you're talking about, that fine line sort of thing. 
special teams giving you a game. And Robbie Gold last year connected on a bunch of big kicks that won the 49ers like a few games. And and it was a big deal because it gave them confidence, even though they're a six and ten team. So I think that special teams obviously an overlooked part of the game, but it's is just as important as the other two parts because that can make or break you. See Kyle Williams in the 2011 game. I don't mean to I don't mean to rip that band-aid open, but but you know what I'm saying, Al. Like this is one of those situations where this when you're a fringe playoff team and you need that extra little boost, it could be like a big kick return in the game that really matters. It could be a kick return for a touchdown or, you know, just being a sure-handed punt returner. And I think that Dante Pettis has that experience and that's where they'll get him the ball. The idea is to get the ball in, in your playmaker's hands any way possible. And and the more he gets the ball in his hands, the better it's going to be for the, the 49ers offense and the team. And if you look at the the kickers and Robbie Gold is, is a stalwart there, he's going to stay there. Uh, Bradley Pinion is, is getting better. And, uh, you know, I think that Kyle Nelson is a long snapper and mentioned him earlier. He's one of the best in the game. So really like the, the only wild card in the special teams department is the return game. Right. And that's, that's going to be Dante Pettis's job to lose at first. Trent Taylor was doing the punt returns before, but I don't think, I don't think they wanted to return punts because it's a, it's kind of like a, like a high impact job. And they wanted to focus just on, on learning the offense and, and playing that slot receiver role. So I have big hopes for Dante Pettis. I think that he's going to be better than a lot of people think. Again, Kyle Shanahan, <clears throat> excuse me, Kyle Shanahan knows receivers, and he drafted him, traded up to draft him with a purpose. So you're going to see him on special teams. And now, sorry to sorry to um, circle back. We we didn't talk about we didn't talk about the outside corners. We didn't talk about Witherspoon and Sherman. Uh, I mentioned him a little bit. Yeah, we got to get more in depth with them for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that, and, and the reason why is because I think that Akilah Witherspoon is going to break out. He was my breakout star for this year. Um, a few weeks ago, we did a. a basically like a prediction of which guy is going to break out. I think Akilah Witherspoon is, is the guy. And the reason why is because he has the same measurables as Richard Sherman. He has the same sort of attitude as Richard Sherman in terms of the way that he approaches the game, working hard, surrounding himself with the, with the really good cornerback camp. I believe uh, Marcus Peters, Akeem Richard Sherman, and, and Witherspoon were all there. And um, it was just like they were just – doing drills and bouncing feedback off each other. And when you surround yourself around great, when you surround yourself with greatness, a lot of times that kind of rubs off on you as well. So he's doing all of the right stuff and he's putting the work in like last year, Rashard Robinson, he, he was one of those guys that I thought was going to be, or two years ago was going to be taking a step. He didn't want to put the work in. Akela Witherspoon, he doesn't talk as much, but he puts the work in. So I think playing opposite Richard Sherman is going to help him. And as far as Richard Sherman goes, I mean, you know what you're getting there, right? You're going to get a guy, perennial all-pro, Pro Bowl cornerback, who's coming off an Achilles, but 85% is better than corners in this league. So I think on the outside, Al, they're, they're, they're pretty set. You know what's funny? I kind of glanced over Sherman. I'm already taking him for granted. You know what I mean? Yeah. The guy's so good, yeah. and he's obviously if he's healthy, he's a Hall of Famer. And I'm already like, oh yeah, Sherman. So, you know, you know, like you just expect him to go out there and just be what he is. So let's hope that he could do that because if Richard Sherman is even 80 percent of Richard Sherman, it makes a huge difference on this team. So, all right, Zane, what is your pre preseason record pick right now? If if you got to say where we're going to end up at the end of the season, what, what would you say wins and losses wise? 19 and 0. No, I'm just uh, kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, um, don't you just love when people are like 19 and I was like, man, that's not going to happen. Just not, yeah, not happening. Um, so I think, so I, I went on Rombo sports show and I, and I predicted nine and seven. This is a team. It's, it's really hard to predict because this is a team that 
has that potential to be like an 11 and five team, but we really like, you can't win games off of potential, right? You have to put it out on the field first. So it starts and ends with Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback, obviously. And if, if he has a subpar year, they don't have enough talent to get to the playoffs. They don't. They're, they're a quarterback heavy team. And this is not the Jim Harbaugh teams that he fielded where you could just basically have a game manager, a quarterback and the defense will carry you. So I think if, if Garoppolo plays well, they'll be, you know, 10 and six, 11 and five, maybe one of those swings. If he plays average, they'll be eight and eight. So it's anywhere between 10 and six and eight and eight. I predicted nine and seven. So I'm going to say nine and seven slash 10 and six. I'm, I'm going to flip flop between that. Um, I'm total non-committal there, but yeah, that's my, that's my prediction. <laughs> I went through the schedule today and I came up with nine and seven too, and I can't get past those first four road games yeah. and that's where the season, it's just going to tell so much about this team. And it's look, the team's going to get better. All, you know, all teams usually do during a season because you don't have as much practice and training camp and things like that. So things are a little crazy early in the season, but when you look at those first six games at the Vikings, home to the lions at the chiefs, at the chargers, home to the Cardinals, at the Packers, there's a chance they could lose all four of those road games. Those mm. are four really tough road games. We don't know what Pat Mahomes is yet. So I don't want to go too crazy on the Chiefs. If they get out of that at three and three, I'll probably be happy. If they get out of that at four and two, this team is a serious contender. You know, if they come yeah. out of that for those first six games, four and two, which means they probably be, you know, two of those road teams. I don't, I don't see them losing either of those games at home. I mean, Lions could be tough, but and if they don't beat the Cardinals at home, they have an issue. But if they beat Minnesota or go into the, you know, Los Angeles to beat the Chargers, Chargers are going to be good. Or even going to Lambeau mm-hmm. with Rodgers there. That's, that's a tough game. If, if they could win two of those games, all right, this team's for real. You know, we'll find out what, the, what this team is. And even if they don't, I mean, even at two and four, the season's still salvageable. But you yeah. have the Rams looming right after that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough start. And I, I like them to finish strong. I do. I personally think Seattle is going to be garbage this year. Yeah, um, so do I. I, I I'm not, never sorry, know I'm not sorry about that either. I hope they are. Garbage. No, no. And, and I look at, <laughs> you know, I look at their games after the bye. They, they start off with two in a row on the road, but they can beat the Bucks. They can beat the Seahawks. They should be able to beat the Broncos. Seahawks at home. I know Bears are going to be better, but I'm not. I, I think they might be a year or two away. And then do the Rams have even anything to play for the last game of the season? So they could finish mm-hmm. strong. And before the bye, um, I, well, I should say after that Rams game in the beginning of the season. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. Sorry, but um, so the first games they're at the Vikings, Lions, at the Chiefs, at the Chargers, Cardinals at home, at the Packers, Rams at home. That's tough. But then you got you're at the Cardinals and you play the Raiders and the Giants before the bye. They should be able to win those three games. They should beat the Cardinals, Raiders, and Giants. If if they don't win those three games before the bye, again, you're wondering what this team is. So even if they go into that, if they end that rough stretch at four and three or three and four or whatever it is, they should get those three wins to kind of get them back in there and then hopefully finish the season strong. But nine and seven, ten and six, I think that's realistic, but I would tell fans be prepared for a slow start because it could happen. You know we're gonna get a flame for this, right? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> you know what though? Look, I hope that people, you know, people are getting to know us or, or have known us or whatever i hope that part of the reason that they like us listen to the show and everything is because we're not i mean sometimes we're homers but we're not homers we're not going to be like oh yeah they're going to go to minnesota and win i don't think they are i think they're losing that game mm-hmm. you know yeah. I, I just i see that i feel like people will appreciate at least i hope that they do our, our honesty we're not going to come on the show and be like oh yeah everything is great in red and gold and we're gonna go 13 we're not we're not going to do that like we're not doing our jobs if we do that so mm-hmm. 
while we are 49ers fans, that's how we started doing this. Like we kind of pride ourselves in giving you like balanced coverage, I guess, or whatever. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to be, for those of you who, you know, may not have listened last year, I am as honest as can be. And I, I am going to call it like I see it. Um, and if this team is not playing well and things aren't working out, I'm going to be the first person to say it. And if I'm wrong, I'll be the first person to say it. You know, if I'm wrong about CJ Bathard, you know, I just said earlier, I don't, I, I'm not sold on him. I'm not, you know, if he comes in and wins a few games this year and looks good, I'll be the first person to say I was wrong, but we're going to be honest people. It's what we do. Along that same line. Like, I think that we're kind of being conservative with our predictions too. Like, it's not just about like who, we think is the best quarterback in the league and, and the fact that the 49ers have all this momentum from last year. I think that our, our takes are measured based off of what we know, based off of what we've seen, based off of the experience that Al and I have watching football, um, you know, for, for many years and, and looking at schemes, looking at X and O's, X's and O's and statistics and all these things. So it's not like we're trying to poo poo on everybody's parade or anything. It's just, it's just really just taking things into context that this team is not necessarily like a team that's totally ready to go to the playoffs and, and wreck shop. There's still a few players away. And I think they know that. And I think that they're trying to temper those expectations. So we, I mean, Al, we have a really savvy listener base. We really do. Like, I, I feel like we have one of the better listener bases out of all the podcasts that are out there. And I'm really proud to, to call them that, you know, it's like, it's, it's a community. It really is. And, and they call us out. They, they will absolutely call us out when mm-hmm. we're wrong and, and we'll own that. Um, but as far as, as 49ers coverage goes, like we really, like you said, pride ourselves on being measured and giving a realistic point of view because we want, we, we want to have a conversation with all of you out there. That's basically the way that we approach this. It's a conversation with everybody. Although you and I are talking to each other, it's like we're talking to a larger audience too. And we're not going to throw a bunch of fluff out there that we don't believe in. So that's, that's kind of the way that we, that we approach it. And um, one guy, Al, speaking of things that we believe in, one guy that I really believe that we'd never touched on um, is is Richie James. And I want to, before we end the show, just kind of touch on him as well. Set a bunch of re- records in college. He was the, the seventh round pick this year. And he's, he's an undersized guy. He's, he's like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, about 185 pounds. But this guy can run routes. Like he is an athletic receiver, not afraid to go over the middle. He can make the tough catch. And he's going to be the sixth receiver. I really, I really believe so. And he's one of those guys that can also return punts and kicks if need be. And he's an electric guy with the ball in his hands. So I think that's to close out our show, Al, that's that's my my guy, Richard James. Yeah, I like him a lot too. And he's one of those guys who could push, you know, maybe Eldrick Robinson or somebody like that for a roster spot. So definitely somebody to look out for for sure in, in James. And he'll be one of those guys that I'm really interested to see how Shanahan kind of moves around. He's a Kyle Shanahan type guy. So mm-hmm. see how that goes. All right, Zane. So I want to just remind the listeners that you can subscribe to Fort Anders Web Zone No Huddle Podcast on iTunes. You could leave a comment if it's a good one. Um, let us know how you think we're doing on the show. Um, you could also find us on SoundCloud, Google Play, or 49erswebzone.com. And if you go to 49erswebzone.com and click podcast, we have a link there where you could buy t-shirts for the show. And if you want to do that, that'd be awesome because I think Zane and I make like 97 cents per shirt. So, um, <laughs> But I'm the only person who bought one, I think, so far. So I think I'm already in the hole like 20 bucks. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to take, uh, yeah, I probably never get that money back. But I'm just glad that I have a shirt, so it's all good. <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, um, all right, so you could follow Zane at Zane49ers on Twitter, and I'm at AlSacco49. Again, we're very interactive on Twitter. We love talking to the fans, and we appreciate uh, the give and take with you guys. And, Zane, this is going to be a fun ride, buddy. We're about to kick this off. Are you ready? I can't wait. Let's kick the season off, man. Training camp starts this week. Let's do it.
Let's do it. We will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Peace.